The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 43 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome everyone to another edition of The House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my left is the educator of access. Educator, how's it going today, buddy? Oh, not too bad. Can't complain. We are still powering through. Public school is still open, as at least as of the taping of this particular episode. Uh, kind of slow at the driving school, but getting some quality time at the game store because, hey, stimulus checks in. Time to shop, shop, shop. Did you get your stimmy? Got my stimmy, and it is going to some uh, orthodontal work for my middle child. She's getting her braces in a couple weeks. So Aww, that sucks. First, first, first stimmy was, uh, you know, thank you, Mr. Trump, for putting in. Uh, a new septic system at my house, and this one's going to braces for my middle child. Yeah, well, you know, today is the 21st, so I'm sure nothing um, nothing bad happened yesterday. I'm sure everything went, went phenomenal. It went smooth sailing, smooth sailing. Smooth. All right. No uh, to my right is none other than Kevin. It's Tricky Hellions. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. And you know, that's a good point there. If uh, you're listening to this, congratulations. We made it through yesterday. Good times. Um, I at this actually, point, Kevin, it's a celebration. If you can make it a day every week. <laughs> um, we've actually only received half of our stimulus because I am one of the unfortunate few that it got sent to my tax preparer company first. And then they have to send it on. Really? Because this happened so quickly. A lot of people's stimulus money got sent to TurboTax, H&R Block, you know, whatever companies like that. So then those companies now got to figure out who was supposed to get what amount of money. That's crazy. And um, send it along. Yeah. I mean, just ridiculous the way the government works. Um, maybe we should overthrow it, guys. I don't know. <laughs> um, I have not gotten my stimmy yet, and I don't prepare for that. They just haven't sent it to me. Crazy. I got my first one. No problem. <laughs> Second one, they're like, screw you, bustler. Did you? Ta- eh, well, yeah, no, right. it's too early to do taxes. We don't even have any forms yet. Yeah. So it's not that. Right. Uh, I can't imagine anything they're taking it for. Yeah. I don't know. Now, maybe they're worried that you'll spend it on Hasbro's or Detolf's. You know what? I, I actually have been. Uh, I went to, uh, I felt like the Edu Hunter over there. 
I went there to my is. local Walmart and uh, Unrivaled Series 2 Jeez. just happened oh. to be there. One almost complete set for me. So I got everyone but Moxley. Are you taking them out to let them breathe yet, or are no, they still in no, box? Still in box. There you go. Um, I'm still missing the Brandy Rhodes from, from Series, series one, 1, and series then now one, I'm yep. missing uh, Mox from Series 2. My question is, should I start just going to ringside collectibles and just buying that, pre-ordering them? Probably. At if you point. know you're going to get them anyway, yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't planning point. on I was planning on getting Series 1, but I wasn't planning on starting a collection because this is a rabbit hole I don't want to fall down. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, but I feel like they, were, they, they wanted to come home with me. They're mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, you had to. And you've brought worse home. I have brought worse home. Kevin, I mean, <laughs> speaking of bringing worse home, I remember me and you walking two miles from a trailer park one night. <laughs> True story. Oh. But we won't get into that. We'll get into it Some, on. Uh... Someone took us like four hours to walk two miles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it took us four hours to walk two miles. I think there was a glitch in the depression matrix that night. <laughs> Your lovely wife, though, talked to us home. So she did. She did. Speaking of, she has told me no new collectible, no new collection. So I can't grab those figures. No, says my current collections are out of hand. Well, I don't know what to tell you there, Kevin. Time to prioritize, man. Yeah. So, um, so we are watching Saturday night's main event. Number three, the Halloween episode, we will call it. Um, I'm trying to differentiate. So we called the last one, of course, Uncle Elmer's wedding. This is the Halloween episode. So we're at Hershey Park, guys. Uh, if you didn't know, there's a lot of chocolate in this episode. So yeah, I mean, you could call it the chocolate Halloween episode. By the way, that was my stripper name. Well, it is a horror show. So um, oh, there, it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> so why don't we just get right into it? Because this actually was a lot of fun. Um, it's interesting because. Well, well, we'll get into it, of course, because we, we do have one of the producers uh, on set today. So uh, yeah, so yeah, this yeah. aired November 2nd, 1985 at Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania. 8,000 people in attendance. It is their Halloween episode. Is it weird that the Halloween episode takes place after Halloween? No, because it's the weekend immediately after. I say we're still in the Halloween spirit. People are still yeah. having Halloween parties, gatherings, stuff like that. No. Yeah, I remember even in high school, um, Halloween was a Thursday, but the my senior year, the Halloween dance was the following night, technically November 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, I had dressed up as a member of KISS that year and I ended up winning the competition. What uh, what member of KISS were you? Uh, Ace Freely, baby. Well, do you, do you not have the tongue? No, not so much. What the hell was that? <laughs> is that your ASR video? That's as best I got. Is baby. that what? Uh... Mm-hmm. Oh my! Do you Lord. also not have the chest hair to be Paul Stanley? I do not. Oh my lord! Oh my lord! Because um, really, the only thing in pop culture that I remember usually taking place after Halloween is Treehouse of Horrors. A lot of times, for The Simpsons, usually mm-hmm. happens after right. Halloween. But I think that's because of the baseball contract and like the World Series and stuff like that. Right, but I mean, you know, Christmas. Honestly, the whole week, Christmas to New Year's, is still Christmas. You're seeing other people in your family, friends. Right. You know, there's all sorts of gatherings. It really depends on where the weekend lies. And this is uh, All Souls Day after All Saints Day. So we're still in that uh, spirit time. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's hard to really compare the little bit, the tail end of the Halloween season, like the 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 beginning of November to what I have dubbed the holiday taint. 
which is the week in between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> I don't know what to say. After You're just going to no sell holiday taint, Kevin? <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> That's a great name what for you, it, though. What would you what call you that call week? The... What do you call the week in between Christmas and New Year? What? No, no, this holiday seemed a little tainted, so. <laughs> we'll leave it right in. Uh, but why don't we get right into it? We got Mean Gene uh, trying to interview Bobby the Brain Heenan, but he's too busy bobbing for apples. And this really sets He's not the... bobbing for apples. He's bobbing for pumpkins. Oh, yeah, pumpkin bobbing thing. for pumpkins. Everyone's favorite tradition. <laughs> I mean, I've tried. In, but... in chocolate syrup, you know, it makes sense. It sounds yeah. about right. But I mean, like, I don't even put chocolate syrup on pumpkin pie can't imagine that this all went together well also it looked like he was getting the and i'm setting myself up and i don't mean to but it looks like he's getting like the knob of the pumpkin because you can't actually bite into the whole pumpkin itself oh he definitely gets the knob of it because later when they're doing like the halloween olympics or whatever you want to call it he's literally grabbing everyone's chocolate knob and just getting them out of there but, but we'll get stem. to that. We'll get to that it's segment when we get stem. to it. But oh yeah, I guess you can do stem. But oh, 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 oh is a lot who knows biology there? Stepping in. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I did write bottom for apples. I forgot it's pumpkins. Yeah, because uh, who was it? Someone like bashes them together and opens it up. Because I was like, maybe it's maybe it's not pumpkins. It looks like pumpkins. Maybe not. And then they bashes them together and all the seeds and everything come out. I'm like, no, it's pumpkins. It absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, we get a Hogan um, uh, inset interview. Of course, uh, he's with Andre. Um, and what's going on with Hogan's headband? Why is it not on correctly? Every episode so far. It's always something. It's just twisted in an awkward way, partially covering an eye. I don't know if he's got, you know, faking and being having an eye patch or something here. It's... He, I, he, he tears them like he tears his shirts, I guess. Right, right. But it also, it, you're you're staring at the headband so much, you don't stare at his receding hairline. Coincidentally, I've ordered many headbands this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Why do you have headbands, Kevin? Because they take away focus. Hi, welcome conversation. This is the house show. Welcome, Matt. Good to have you here. I don't get it. I don't get it. Keep it up. <laughs> this is the one that only has the remaining hair on its head. Yeah, the one with the hair. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. These locks, baby. Look at them. They're looking good tonight. So um, after after that, uh, we get Piper talking with Jesse the body and one of those. You get who? What? Super Roddy. Oh, Super Roddy Piper. Excuse me. Talking with Jesse the body of Intera. Uh, one of those inset promos. Um, and then we get Mean Gene talking with Terry Funk with Jimmy Hart, which odd combination, those two together. Two newcomers. <laughs> two newcomers to Saturday night's main event. Um, yeah. Short-lived stable that Jimmy Hart eventually uh, became management of, our manager of, in that uh, soon after this debut, we ended up seeing Dory Funk Jr. become a member of the Funk Brothers stable, who really... Uh, went or went by the name of Haas Funk. I don't know why they felt the need to change the name, but and then we end up having a third member of the group, uh, a de facto member, Jimmy Jack Funk, who was just another wrestler under a mask that really was of no relation to the Funk family. And oh, like Jimmy Hart looks like a kid here too. 
like shockingly young. I think part of it is because he is still around. He just did the Legends Night a couple of weeks ago, and also we we see him to this day on things. But man, he looks like a kid. He always has looked the same to me, and I wonder if it's because of the glasses. Because it's the hair and the glasses, and he has the same frame. It's not like he's blown up over the years or gotten really skinny. He's always been pretty much the same size. But we follow that up, of course, with a giant Hulk Hogan head in the crowd. They're showing signs. They're showing people dressed up. Of course, this was taped on Halloween night. How fun would that be? Have you guys lots of kids in the lots of kids in the crowd? You know, so I mean, it's. You know, they're they're making one choice or the other. Are they going out trick-or-treating? Or I guess this is the whole special, you know, special night for them. So they're giving up their trick-or-treating for going to the big, you know, the wrestling event here in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I was actually shocked by the number of kids. But a lot of them were dressed up in, like, costumes and so on. So they were still kind of, you know, getting their little, uh, you know, child cosplay in, so to speak. Good show, though. Uh, lots of crowd uh, response to... Uh, a lot of the different spots in the night and i'm just it, it is such an entertaining show from top to bottom especially with the with the performers in the halloween outfits and the backstage skits i just i appreciated the entertainment value of the show so so much i mean depending on when the show started you could and and how close you live to the arena you could get an hour of trick or treating in and then get in the car and head over to the arena and do both for the night the show started at like 8 let's say you could absolutely go up from like five to six, head over. Secu- getting through security took a lot quicker back then. <laughs> so we follow that up, of course, with uh, Mean Gene talking with, uh, who is he talking with? Oh, we have they show a video of Terry Funk beating up a ring attendant. Uh, interesting thing about that is there was a female referee. Um, and when you think about WWE now, they talk about how like female ref Jess is one of the first women referees. And that's not true at all. Of course, it's WWE's lying to us. Shocker. One of the first, because like there was that brief time when Jacqueline was a referee, and I think honestly just to do something and be on TV and still be paid and be on the road. She was willing to do anything. Justify having her contract. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's been certainly uh, women wrestlers or or managers or whatever as a guest referee spot, but they do still say one of. And honestly, there's like two in WWE, there's Aubrey in NXT. Like altogether, we're probably still on your your big brands less than 10 even five is pushing it so she can say one of the first clearly like i i don't blame her for saying that i don't blame wwe for marketing that for but it is this is clearly a forgotten referee a forgotten talent though here i was surprised to hear too um they're they're really just kind of pushing the idea they're 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 really getting building terry funk up to feed to hogan i mean that that's all this is uh, we get, once again, Mean Gene talking with Terry Funk and Jimmy Hart. Then Mean Gene, of course, talking with the JYD Junkyard Dog before, uh, you know, the first match of the evening. Um, the announcers, once again, are Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. And we really get into match number one, which is Terry Funk with Jimmy Hart taking on the Junkyard Dog, the JYD. Uh, so... What did you guys think of this first match? I love JYD's entrance music. The grab them cakes. Mm-hmm. It really get the crowd is just so into it. And it's just, it's such a cool beat for him to come down to the ringside. I have been listening a lot to some of uh, some other co- uh, podcasts. And in particular, 
the J- Jim Ross podcast and him talking about his time in Mid-South and Bill Watts and how JYD was like a phenomenal, phenomenal, huge baby face in Mid-South. And unfortunately, towards the end of his run in Mid-South, he started to let himself go. Drugs started to really take a hold of him. And the JYD, and I've seen some of, of JYD's work from like 82, 83, he was like ripped, like jacked to the gills, phenomenal looking guy in 82, 83. And then seeing him now in 85, it's such a shocking change, just like two, three years on his body. And it's just, it's, it's, he looks so different compared to what, what his run was in mid South. I, I gotta say though, and I, I see it too. But the charisma is incredible. Holy cow. I mean, he walks out and he's just a presence there. He is commanding the attention of every single person. He's ridiculously over. Um, Funk sells his ass off for him. In this yeah, match. absolutely. God, it's so good. He's got to be the biggest black superstar in wrestling at this time. Of course. Like by far. Yeah. And, and as... WWF East Coast, you know, his dad before him and Vince's dad before him and all. There's always the let's give the people a champion. Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, that Irishman Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, with the blonde hair and all. But in that same way, JYD must have been an icon. Like he, he must have just, you just put his face on there, you're a sold out building. He. I, I, I got to see more of the Mid-South stuff and all and him and his prime and everything. And me watching the you know Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling and stuff like that, J.I. Wendy was like more of a cartoon character when I was seeing him. Right. And he, even this, which as you're pointing out, it was not his peak, is still incredible. Yeah. Like I want to see even more. Do you think, I mean, with, with J.Y.D., like you guys were saying, the charisma, is this just another case of, you know, Vince McMahon saying, hey, it wasn't my act bringing him in, so I'm not going to push him to the moon. Or did he just come at a bad time because, I mean, Hulkamania was Hulkamania. I mean, obviously Vince picked right by going with Hogan and Hulkamania really took the world by storm, especially with in, in those, you know, late 80s. So did, did JYD just not have room to breathe or was just he at the tail end of his career at that point? Uh, I, for me, I will say that some, uh, I think JYD's personal habits outside of the ring had caught up to him and run his course and just basically created an artificial ceiling that he was never going to get above, especially on this bigger stage combined with the ascension of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. I just, there was no way he was ever going to be a number one. And I don't even think really a number two to be honest with you, he was always going to be mid card to upper mid card, but never really a main event guy. I mean, I, I could absolutely see that of, Hey, you have known issues. We're not putting a title on you. We're not putting you in a spot where we need to guarantee something out of you because well, if you don't show up, what if you're not in great condition there, but as long as you show up, you're going to still be in a good place on the card and still do well. I mean, he certainly made a lot of money. He certainly did okay for himself. Um, but also, it's it's the Hogan era. You're not taking the belt off of Hogan, and the IC title is kind of like the workhorse title, and I don't see anyone he's going to tag up with, so he's probably in the only spot left, but it's a good 
bought it for him. I'm sure he made some cash. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure he he made some good good money. Well, why don't we get right into it? Uh, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right. So during Junkyard Dog's entrance, we have Terry Funk that is up on the ring apron, jaw jacking with the crowd with his back towards the main ring. We see JYD getting into the ring and ends up beeling Terry Funk over the top rope into the ring itself. We see two right hands uh, to knock down Terry Funk. Terry Funk ends up uh, essentially trying to recover and ends up uh, going off onto the floor to really regather himself for the match. We get back into the ring. We end up seeing Junkyard Dog and Terry Funk tie up. Uh, Terry Funk sends Junkyard Dog into the ropes, and Jimmy Hart ends up grabbing one of uh, Junkyard Dog's feet as a distraction, and uh, JYD ends up giving chase to uh, Jimmy Hart on the floor. And they end up uh, chasing around the ring with Terry Funk ending up following uh, JYD and eventually uh, to give attack to JYD before he was able to do any harm to Jimmy Hart. JYD ends up turning around just as uh, Terry Funk's about to attack him and ends up back body dropping Terry Funk on to the floor. Back into the ring, we see JYD with a body slam and a second body slam attempt, and he ends up tossing Terry Funk over the top rope back out onto the floor. Terry Funk regathers himself, enters back into the ring. JYD does an Irish whip to Terry Funk into the corner turnbuckle, catches Funk with another body slam uh, when Funk is uh, rebounding out uh, from the Irish whip attempt. With Funk on the canvas, JYD drops down to all fours and ends up doing his charging headbutt three times successfully to Terry Funk. Terry Funk ends up rolling out onto the apron to regroup and then eventually out on the floor and starts jawjacking to the crowd as the crowd is chanting JYD, JYD. Funk ends up coming back into the ring. We got a collar and elbow tie-up. Terry Funk is able to do an Irish whip into the ropes. And we end up seeing Jimmy Hart's involvement again. JYD goes out to the floor, gives chase to Jimmy Hart, and ends up catching Jimmy Hart himself. We get brawling back and forth between Terry Funk and JYD. And eventually they spill back into the ring where JYD and Terry Funk exchange punches back and forth with Terry Funk ending up being very successful and knocking down JYD with two right hands. And we got a pinfall attempt for a long two count from the referee. Terry Funk does an Irish whip and ends up catching JYD with a sleeper hold. JYD is able to escape and rebounds by doing an Irish whip of his own and catches Terry Funk with his own version of the sleeper hold. We see Jimmy Hart getting up on the apron and acting as a distraction to JYD. And JYD ends up reversing that sleeper hold to go after Jimmy Hart. While the referee had his back turned and is dealing with the distraction of JYD about ready to slug uh, Jimmy Hart, we end up seeing Terry Funk grabbing uh, Jimmy Hart's megaphone and attacking JYD from behind, knocking him down with the megaphone as he hit him in the back of the head with the megaphone. JYD drops down to the canvas. Terry Funk tosses the megaphone out of the ring. Terry Funk with a pinfall, one, two, three, victory, and a defeat over the junkyard dog. 
Funk tries to attack JY uh, down JYD after the match with the branding iron that Jimmy Hart brought in. And just as uh, Terry Funk's about to, you know, push that branding iron, branding iron down onto JYD's chest, JYD ends up catching that branding iron and is able to overpower Terry Funk and ends up knocking Terry Funk down to the floor. Jimmy Hart tries to grab the branding iron, but he then goes for an escape. And we end up seeing a tug of war between uh, with Jimmy Hart as the the rope, so to speak, as Terry Funk on the floor is grabbing Jimmy Hart by the two hands to try to pull him out of the ring. JYD is grabbing Jimmy Hart by his feet to pull him back into the ring. We get yanking back and forth. And eventually what ends up happening is JYD ends up stripping Jimmy Hart's pants off, exposing his red tidy whitey underwear and eventually Jimmy Hart brought back into the ring. We see JYD branding uh, Jimmy Hart with Terry Funk's branding iron to wrap up the segment. So Funk's work, uh, promo stuff, things on the last two episodes. This feels like retroactively uh, an attitude era. Like the WWF had its own attitude era before the one we're more familiar with. But there's adult content. There's a lot of hardcore matches. There's people, you know, changing sides and all. This is not like the kid-friendly product that we kind of maybe thought it was. I mean, yes, it gets it goes that way and it becomes more cartoony and, you know, Hogan, you know, must pose, as we say and all. But, geez, Funk is incredible here. Absolutely amazing it's a violent match, it, you know, for what there is here and all. I was shocked at bumps he was taking, that stuff they were doing and all. I was really surprised by it. Loved every minute of it. Um, And there's, like, you know what really gets me to is how did we still need the steroid scandal in a case to say, hey, wrestling is predetermined? Like, who thought this was real other than children? Yeah, right. There's so much. I'm like, who thought this was real? Who there's, for there's real? So, there's so much carny uh, in this. It's crazy. There is a yeah. ton of it. I mean, I love it. It's great. But like, yeah. who who really thought? Oh no, this happens. These are real people in real life that do this and then go, you know, to the next town and there's never any criminal investigation or consequences. Right. Exactly. Like, who the hell did it? Um, Jimmy Hart. There's stuff that happens. For a lot of these, I'm like, these are grown men going through these embarrassing situations. And yeah, it's part of the show and, and uh, you know, your character and all. But I see stuff and I'm like, I wouldn't do that. You know, then my wife sees it, my family sees it and all, my kid. Like, I wouldn't do some of that stuff. I mean, Jimmy Hart, to my knowledge, doesn't have a wife or kid ever. So I don't know. Maybe he's all right with people pulling his pants off in public. <laughs> So, Kevin, it's funny you say that because we literally brought up on the blooper episode <laughs> how you would walk out with yum written on your chest if we ever have to do a live panel. I didn't have a wife or child then. No, but you said you would do it if if the podcast had a panel. Right. Do you, you not have a wife? Your chest. What happened to your wife yeah. and child that you currently have? Sometimes I try to pretend I'm a more mature poor person than I actually am. Sometimes I want to give this a little aura. I honestly think, no offense, Kevin, if I was going to give you $100,000 and all you had to do was pull your pants down in front of thousands of people, 
you wouldn't even my... you wouldn't even be wearing pants at that point. Do I, do I have my underwear on as well? Yeah. Is is it red, much like Jimmy Hart's? You, you, so... And it has to be branded with a retro network logo on branding iron. I'd do that for a fifty dollar bill. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as you had said a hundred, I was in. Then you added a hundred thousand. I was like, wow. That's what I mean, though. Wow. So I settled too soon. So I know, I know you, uh, you you're giving Jimmy Hart the crap here, but let's be honest here. Um, and another question. I think I'd rather have a real branding iron than the white whatever that was on his. It's paint. It's got to be paint. He looks awful. Yeah, whatever it is. Well, I mean, they had to do a contrasting color, I'm sure, for the the spot. Not true. Right? Yeah. So I think that's why it was like a silverish gray. They couldn't or have just it used was. the chocolate from the pumpkin top. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it would have been better. Um, my other question <laughs> well, too is: the, I know yeah. you bring up like the Attitude Era, and it's a little more adult than than what you think. Is this because it's airing at 11:30 at night on a Saturday? When it shocked me, like it's mostly adults up now. If a kid's staying up, you're passing out. By before midnight, probably like maybe you're able to stay up, you know, for a match or two, but you're not staying up for the whole thing. So now it's just adults left in the room. Let's put on a show for the adults, too. Yeah. So uh, but why don't we move on, guys, because we have what is an amazing segment up next. <laughs> uh, we have the pie, all the, the pie eating contest now. OK, we we have to ask and I, I want to talk to the producer, the educator here, Mr. Right, McCarthy. Here. Okay, episode one, we had the Mother's Day pie in the face. Right. Hmm. Episode hmm. two, we had the wedding pie in the face. Now, I oh, said when we were leaving. Wedding pie? The wedding cake. The wedding sir. cake. Come on. Whatever. I, I said on episode two, the end of episode two, will we have another cake in the face? Now, technically, pie, we do not have cake in the face. We, we do Some we sort do of baked good. It is a baked good. But though. it is a pie in the face. And. I'm not even talking about the pie in contest. They literally throw a pie in Captain Lou's face Captain at the Lou's end of it. Face at the end. So do we count that happy. as part of our Goldberg streaks of pie or cake in the face? I would say it's it's a food. Yeah. I say we open it all the way up. There's some kind of food related, you know, spot mm, where so, someone's covered. So we're going to bring this into the fourth episode then. I would. Let's. Let's see what happens. All right. All right. We're, some, we'll, we'll count it. We're going to count it. Okay. Bakery delicacy. <laughs> a baked good. Well, because they kind of, uh, the crust may have been baked, but the rest of the stuff in the pie wasn't. Yeah. yeah. We will, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, def- we'll count it. We'll count it. So, so anyways, we get the pie eating <laughs> contest. Now this is a segment guys. I mean, what a segment. Every wrestler's dressed up in their Halloween costume. Uh, we get the macho man and Liz, they're Tarzan and Jane. We get Volkoff as Robin, which is amazing. Uh, the V. Uh, B- I love Batman the v. and Robin here. Uh, the Iron Sheik is Batman. Volkoff is Robin. It's so friggin' good. Yes, it it's is. It's so good. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan's Davy Crockett. Uh, King Kong Bundy's Abe Lincoln. The ha- Lincoln hat is phenomenal. <laughs> he looks like the, uh, so the Amish roadkill. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He did. He the did. beard, yep. Um, Tito Santana as Zorro. Uh, Hogan, of course, is Hercules. Uh, the three Musketeers are the trio's tag team champions of Saturday night's main event. Uh, Uncle Elmer, uh, Hillbilly Jim, and uh, Cousin Junior. Uh, Captain Lou is Caesar. And then my favorite, Mean Gene, is the Pumpkin Wizard. The Pumpkin Wizard, what? baby. What is going on here, guys? What, I mean, seriously, what is, what is going on here? 
It's great costumes too. It's, it's fantastic. Phenomenal. And 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 this wasn't like, oh crap, it's Halloween. Let's run down to you know local costume store and all. These are planned out. Oh, absolutely planned out. Yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic. Liz stuff. as Jane is my winner of the evening. See, I'm going to go with Cheeky Baby's Batman. Oh, no, Cheeky Baby's Batman is great. God. No, I want a poster. Volkoff is Robin. Also good. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Captain Lou wins the pie eating contest. Do you think that was kayfabed? I don't know. They kept cutting away, like you couldn't see them actually eat, and you you get shots of of the other wrestlers responding. So they're, they're certainly dumping the pies on the floor. Uh, there's no way they were. They he pounded that all that in ninety seconds or whatever. As much as he, as much as they show them doing though, it was absolutely disgusting to watch. It was so gross, but so entertaining too. But Jesus, just foul. I loved it. I loved it. So um, after that, we get a you know the three musketeers clean up really nicely because after that we get a piper spit. Uh, with Uncle Elmer, Cousin Junior, and Hillbilly Jim. Uh, involves Piper and Cowboy Bob. So, a question for you guys. Yeah. Because yeah. this segment brought up some questions. Oh, doesn't it, though? Do cowboys and hillbillies hate each other in real life? They did that night. Like, is that like a thing? Maybe it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah, could be. Uh, Mike, is there anything better? Is there any more disrespectful thing to do than to stomp on someone's head? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, I would also say, like a cowboy, you're more picturing Midwest, the West, the expansion of the country. But hillbilly, you're more thinking like um, Southern Appalachians. Like I, I think geographically in the U.S., we're not talking the same areas. So, what did you guys think of this Piper's Pet? Was it everything you thought it would be? It's a good setup. It's a good setup, but it really shows how limited um, Elmer is, mm-hmm. cousin Junior is. Interesting that they're trying to kind of bring Jesse out back, kind of being a part-time in-ring performer, but more commentary kind of deal. Jesse Ventura getting the ring. He's still jacked. Arms are huge. Yeah. I don't think at this point he had taped the running man yet, has he? It's 85, right? I don't think so, yeah. So Predator, running man, none of those. Not in the close. Yeah. So anyways, after the Piper's Pit segment, we get the uh, the pumpkin dunk. Um, we actually get to see JYD dressed up as a mummy, just great. Uh, and then we get Bobby the Brain Heenan taking on Cousin Junior in the pumpkin dunk. And Bobby the Brain Heenan uh, wins this because he's bobbing for the chocolate knobs. <laughs> Savage is pretty excited with all the the, uh, the, the uh, pumpkin knobs that he put in the back. Well, that's just him. because Stephanie was there. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But were were they implying that uh, Savage was and Bobby were lying about how many pumpkins were actually in their bag? I think so. I don't think so. I think they really they did put seven in in the segment. It was like seven to five or seven to four. That's why I think it was mm-hmm. kayfabe. But you had to go tied into the last into the last segment. Right. The last I, segment. I, I, I want to say Liz continues to look amazing. So uh, after that, we get Mean Gene talking with. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, King Kong Bundy, and, and Big John Studd. Um, and then we get uh, Mean Gene talking with Captain Lou, Hogan, and Andre. Um, and then we get Bundy and Big John Studd taking on the Dream Team in match number two. Of course, the Dream Team being Hogan and Andre. What would you guys think of this one? I think you're wrong on that. The Dream Team was being referred to as Studd and, and Bundy, weren't they? They were referring to themselves as the Dream Team, weren't they? Yeah, I think it was like a double thing. Like they were 
Vince and Jesse arguing over who the real dream team is. I mm. thought it was like that. I mean, neither brought up Beefcake and Valentine, though. Which, yeah, and I don't think Beefcake and Valentine were referred to as the dream team yet, even though they were tag champions at this time. They didn't bring up us um, either. So, Right. <laughs> Uh, so what you guys what you guys think of this match? We see the new WWF Championship belt. Remember how we talked about the the previous title looked like the what would be comparable to the NWA Television Championship. This is particular championship belt is referred to even though this is technically 85. This particular version is the Hogan 86 title belt. Uh, and he ended up having this title belt through WrestleMania three, leading up to WrestleMania four, uh, or I should say, just before that Saturday, the main event where Hogan ended up getting defeated by Andre the Giant. I think they ended up debuting that particular the Winged Eagle. This would be like the last main one. There's a there's another championship belt that ended up being like for house shows, and there's a couple of. Uh, pictures of it that looks similar to, I believe, like an NWA six-man tag where it's kind of more of an oval-shaped belt, but it's got a portrait of Hogan's face in the middle of the championship belt. And it was only used for a few house shows, and there was a couple of random pictures of him wearing it. But uh, this is the last major revision of the WWF title, and we're going to end up seeing this for about a year, year and a half before the Winged Eagle belt in early 88. Well, God, I mean, educated will break down the match, but it seemed like here's the freak show. You think Andre's an attraction. Check out these two beasts coming over here that are going to fight against him. Like, it just seemed like a, a freak show sports entertainment of it. Not, I don't think anyone was expecting a wrestling match, though, here. Right, it, right. Am I crazy for thinking, uh, is Big John Stud more athletic than I remember? I mean, he seems like for a big guy can move. Yeah, okay. good shape. Like he moves better, obviously, than Andre, and I think he moves better than Bundy, mm-hmm. right? And he's just as tall, and, and if not, right. you know, more muscular. I mean, he he really, I I think a good comparison to modern day would be Braun Strowman and and right. and uh, yeah. yep. and Big John Studd are very similar. Very. Similar. I would think probably Braun probably moves a little better, but. Uh, more focus on cardio and stuff like that now than back then, mm-hmm. but um, I, yeah, I was really I was really impressed with with some some of the stud studs work. I think Bundy has better look though; like he right. looks like a monster. He looks like a freak. He looks like someone that could beat up Hogan and and gets his you know WrestleMania match there later on. But they're big though. That's about it. But that's kind of all they had to be at the time too. Yeah. So, uh, Educator, why don't you go ahead and uh, break this one down for us? So we see the start of the match with Hogan and King Kong Bundy in the ring. Hogan and Bundy start shoving each other back and forth. Uh, Bundy ends up shoving Hogan into the ropes, and Hogan retaliates with a running knee to Bundy, like a jumping running knee. Uh, Ends up going for a pinfall attempt on King Kong Bundy, only gets a one from the referee. Hogan attempts to do a body slam on King Kong Bundy. He picks him up and he holds him for a few seconds. And it kind of looked like he was attempting to like dump him over the top rope to the floor. But he ends up selling a back injury from the scoop slam attempt and ends up dropping Bundy down so that now Bundy can be on the offense. We see King Kong Bundy with an Irish whip to Hogan in the ropes. Bundy swings to do a clothesline. Hogan is able to duck. Hogan ends up uh, with a right hand to Bundy and ends up ramming King Kong Bundy's head into the turnbuckle. 
Hulk Hogan does another Irish whip to King Kong Bundy into the corner, and he charges in and follows Bundy into the corner and does an avalanche clothesline to King Kong Bundy, and then Hogan tags in Andre the Giant. Now, you guys, I don't know if you picked up on it, Vince McMahon's call every time Mm -hmm. Andre tagged into the ring. He kept referring to Andre as the big boss man stepping over the ropes in the ring. So kind of like, you know, foreshadowing for a future character that ends up coming into the WWF probably about, what, two years later, I believe, end of 87, early 88. All right, with Andre tagged into the match, we see Andre starting to choke King Kong Bundy with Bundy's own straps on his singlet. I love how the commentary, uh, specifically Jesse Ventura, just flagrantly calling out Andre and how the referee is doing nothing, is not trying to stop or even count uh, for the flagrant use of the chokehold whatsoever. We end up seeing uh, Andre after that choking onto King Kong Bundy, tagging Hogan back in. Hogan climbs to the second rope, jumps off, and does a double axe handle that causes King Kong Bundy to stagger over to the opposite side of the ring, kind of near his corner. When Hulk Hogan continues over towards the corner with King Kong Bundy, we see Big John Studd capable of attacking Hogan while he's standing on the apron. And eventually we see a double team of Studd on the apron and King Kong Bundy working on Hogan in the corner. Big John Studd ends up tagging into the match. John Studd with an Irish whip to Hogan into the ropes, and he follows through with a shoulder tackle, knocking Hulk Hogan down. Uh, Stud picks up Hogan, does a second Irish whip. He swings to do a clothesline, but Hogan is able to duck. He ends up picking Big John Stud up and does an atomic drop to knock Stud down to the canvas. This allows Hogan to tag Andre back in. We see Andre back into the ring now with Big John Stud with two uh, pretty stiff chops to Stud's chest. Andre backs Stud into the corner and starts choking Stud in the corner. When Andre uh, raises his right arm back to do a swing to lay into Stud, the referee ends up getting hit with an elbow from Andre the Giant and ends up bumping down to the canvas. And eventually we see King Kong Bundy coming in for a save and then Hogan following. All four men are now brawling into the ring, and we see a second referee come into the into the match itself to tend to the first knocked-down referee. The new referee is now Joey Morella, and eventually we end up going to commercial break while order is restored and the first injured referee is taken from ringside. When we come back from break, Andre is now in the ring with Stud, brawling with Big John Stud. We see Andre the Giant do an Irish whip, to stud and sends stud into Hulk Hogan's corner where Hogan has already got his boot up and it ends up ramming uh, stud into Hulk Hogan's boot to knock stud down. Hogan tags back into the match. We see Hogan with an Irish whip and he also bounces off the opposing ropes and does a running clothesline to knock big John stud down. Andre's tagged back into the match again after that spot. Andre does an Irish whip and does a big boot that ends up knocking Stud through the ropes to the floor. As Andre steps over the top rope onto the apron to give chase to Big John Stud, we see King Kong Bundy enter into the match and attack Andre from behind as he's standing with his back uh, on the apron itself. And Andre gets knocked down and ends up doing the double arms tied up into the rope spot. 
So now that Andre's kind of dangling down from the ring with his arms tied on the ropes, Stud and Bundy end up double teaming Hulk Hogan. They end up uh, doing a spot where Hogan's legs are draped over the apron with Stud holding on. On, and uh, King Kong Bundy hits the ropes and does a, a big splash onto a laying down Hogan and uh, continue double teaming that ends up resulting in Joey Morella ref, uh, calling for the disqualification where the winners by DQ are Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Eventually, Andre is able to get his arms out of the tied up ropes and eventually the faces make a comeback and double team and end up working on both Big John Studd and King Kong Bunding, causing them to scurry from the ring and heading back to the locker room. Post-match, we end up seeing an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund in the ring with the with the uh, victors here, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, by disqualification, where Andre claims he hasn't had enough, he wants to fight more, and he challenges Big John Studd to a fight anytime, anywhere. It was that last bit with Andre that was just one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Him just waving them for them to come back and, you know, fight some more. God, what an intimidating person. Like, that scared the hell out of me just seeing him. Uh, the big boss man thing, like uh, Hogan, Vince, uh, different interviews, everyone, you know, we've seen tons of people call Andre Boss. So that was his nickname and all. So I could see it you know the nickname evolving into big boss man i can also see vince going god that's a good name i can't rebrand andre but i'm hanging on to that name for the when the right person comes along so weird with andre being face here uh probably the biggest face second only to hogan and he wrestles more heel tactics than bundy or stud right absolutely with the choking and everything absolutely and and really the person who shouldn't have to by any means when you're that big why do you have to have you know these cheating spots and all and yeah maybe it's you know no he didn't die the day after hogan slammed him at wrestlemania 3 despite you know hogan's retcon version of events but yeah he's not moving like he used to i'm sure he gets frail he's probably hurt and everything so maybe he needs to rely on stuff like that but geez you're freaking andre the giant Right. Like I, I watched, I've seen that WrestleMania three one tons of times, but there's spots like his, uh, it's like for lack of a better way to put it, like his butt slam into the corner spot where he's just squashing someone where he just steps on the opponent and all just do stuff like that. That's not even cheating, but you just look like a monster. Right. It just, I, I didn't understand the booking of a monster here really was what kind of actually any of the monsters. Cause I was kind of disappointed with, Bundy and Stud here too. Just seemed like uh, let's get everyone out there and set up something else later on, but no one really put any effort into it. Is it crazy to you guys? Um, obviously, we'll, we'll we'll see Andre at Mania Three as you're you're bringing up his deteriorating health here. Um, just to think about, you know, we covered the Royal Albert Hall video where Andre comes out at the end and he can barely move at that point. I mean, that's only, what, six years from here? Five years? Right. Or was that 92, right. 91? I mean, 91, 92, yeah. Right around that area. And this is, you know, the end of 85. So um, it, it happens really quick for Andre, you know, coming up. And I can't imagine the amount of pain he's in now, comparative to, I mean, Mania 3 here is, is a year and a half. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just kind of, just kind of nuts to, 
to, to see how that happens. Um, but we followed that up with Mean Gene uh, interviewing the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Uh, Kevin, was were they still Jane and Tarzan? No, they were not. I actually, in my notes, it says, oh, she changed. I'm sad. Oh, okay. So uh, what great notes those are, too. Elizabeth getting mic time, though. I mean. Yeah, weird. Interview <laughs> time. And, and, and genuinely, in this segment, she looks extremely pleased, extremely happy. She's mm-hmm. enjoying her time. The backstage segments that she has with Macho Man, other than the last segment, which we'll, we'll eventually get to, um, which I'm sure, obviously, it's storyline. But she just looks like she's having so much fun, uh, you know, being the assistant, the second, you know, but get, is getting some quality microphone time here uh, for the interview. Now, how soon did they come in, too? Because Vince is saying, or, or sorry, during the interview, saying how fast Macho Man gets a uh, title shot here so it, uh, we're talking like just a couple months here for probably a few months WWF yeah. Debut. yeah well but i mean we gotta remember too we'll, on our last episode we were talking about when macho would be coming in and that was you know a month you know yeah that was a month earlier that was the beginning of october so i mean this literally is four weeks later um so he must have just started if not had been there for a while and he's just getting traction So, uh, but that does lead us to match number three, uh, which is the macho man with Miss Elizabeth taking on Tito Santana and poor Tito Santana. He doesn't even get a ring. No entrance, no No, ring entrance, no ring entrance, nothing. He's intercontinental champion. I mean, he's got that gorgeous title. He, he is the, the, the first, um, competitor that had that classic version of the Intercontinental Championship title. It's just, oh, it's such a gorgeous belt. I love that championship. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's on national TV, and I didn't even get the entrance. We just, we come back from commercial, and boom, Tito's in the ring, taking the belt off, handing it to the referee, and this is for the uh, Intercontinental Championship, this match. Yeah, so uh, what'd you guys think of this one? I, w- there's, uh, I mean, I wish they could have done a lot more. I with mean, it. it's only four minutes. It's, it's not a lot. It's only four minutes and it's not much that really goes on between them. Uh, they, I mean, there's only so much you can do in that four minutes, but it's certainly setting up for, you know, a future si- uh, storyline title match. And we eventually do see Macho Man capturing the title down the road from Tito Santana, but definitely wasn't in the cards for him tonight. Okay. So yes, it's a quick match. No, Macho doesn't, you know, win the title here or anything. All all legit points. But in that time he has, oh my God, Randy Savage is a star. He's just amazing in so this quick. short amount of time. So quick God, in that ring. So good. Yeah. This was, uh, I thought, I'm watching this, I go, oh yeah, you're giving him everything. The format match here and all the stuff that he did and the charisma and the wrestling part and the, with the crowd work and everything is like, you give him everything. Do you, uh, what a star. Was this also strategic placement of this match to put it on after Hogan, Andre, Bundy, Stud? I think to so. To really yeah. show the speed me. of him? Yeah. He's not yeah. taken away from Hogan. A lot of people are in bed already, but the ones right. staying up go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down? So we see the men lock up in the middle of the ring to start the match. Santana is able to back Randy Savage into the ropes and the referee get intervenes uh, to break up Tito and Savage as Savage is on the rope. We see a second lockup in the ring. Uh, the men go round and round along the ropes itself, but eventually Savage with a right hand 
uh, to knock Tito down. He eventually does a snap near takeover and a jumping knee drop on a down Tito Santana. Santana ends up ducking a clothesline attempt by Randy Savage and ends up doing a hip toss, taking Savage down to the mat. Tito misses a running elbow drop on a down Randy Savage. Randy Savage climbs to the top rope, but then decides to step down to the second turnbuckle and jump off and do a double axe handle to knock Tito Santana down. He goes for a pinfall attempt and is only able to get a two count from the referee. We see Randy Savage using a reverse chin lock to wear Tito down as Tito attempts to do a first escape. Uh, Randy Savage ends up yanking Tito back down to the canvas by his hair. Tito ends up doing a second attempt for an escape and does two elbows to the abdomen. And then Randy Savage ends up countering with an elbow to Tito's forehead and then a scoop body slam. Savage then uh, climbs to the top rope to drop the elbow, but Tito starts working his way back onto his feet and Savage jumps off and does a double axe handle attempt. But Tito Santana ends up catching uh, Randy Savage with a right hand in the abdominal area. Tito Santana does a million dollar knee lift and ends up stomping a down Randy Savage. Tito Santana with a big scoop slam into the middle of the ring. We see Tito Santana charge to the opposite ropes as if he's setting up for the big flying forearm finish. But Savage ends up avoiding the forearm, seeing Tito coming by rolling under the bottom rope into the floor. Tito Santana gives chase to Randy Savage. They're brawling with each other outside of the ring. Eventually, Savage gets back into the ring. Tito follows. Savage escapes back out to the floor. The men continue to brawl back and forth. At one point, Randy Savage attempts to do a pile driver attempt onto Tito on the floor, but Tito is able to block that pile driver attempt. Tito and Randy Savage continue to brawl back and forth, and the referee ends up uh, counting both men out, and the match ends at a double countout. I just thought, like, from the beginning, I uh, match starts, I wrote, wow. We've seen interviews and all sorts of stuff. Savage has it, for sure, from the start here. Um, Absolutely amazing. The energy, he's fast, he's totally in control. Then even when he comes off the top and Tito turns it around, his selling's incredible, too. He just sells the beating so well. When when they're running around the ring and avoiding each other, Savage jumping into the crowd, scaring everyone. He's just so good. And, I mean, this is the time when they would be, you know, okay, what do we want WrestleMania to be? Let's book backwards. You got to be looking at Savage now knowing we're putting titles on him. He absolutely, he stands out from everyone else on here, I think. I absolutely think he looks like the biggest star on the entire show tonight. Are you sure about that, Kevin? Because. And and Elizabeth. Because we have a Kung Fu Challenge match coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure we'll get your thoughts on in a little second. So uh, we do have a a video of Mr. Fuji uh, (laughs) training. Don't we, though? And uh, Ricky the Dragon Streamboat training for their Kung Fu Challenge match coming up. Then we get to a rented home in America with Roddy Piper. <laughs> or of Roddy Piper. I don't know what's going on. I thought it was Tony Schiavone's home. Yeah, it might have been. The trick or treaters. Uh, what the hell is this? <laughs> Which part? Piper's great this... in the segment. Piper's phenomenal. But I don't get what the gist is. I don't get the point. The... He hates Halloween and he hates My children. favorite part is right. the kids are outside talking about Mr. Piper's house. 
they ring the doorbell. Mm-hmm. It's dark outside, and then they open the door. It's bright outside. It's <laughs> bright come outside. On. Well, it's like a while. It's like four in the afternoon. Yeah, it really you know? is. Uh, <laughs> they give Piper a chocolate red pepper. Well, he gave them chocolate candy apple bowling balls and uh, yeah. chocolate yeah. bricks that were chocolate actual bricks. bricks. Were you, were you <laughs> yeah. very happy with this segment? So my question is: Okay, this is bad um, comedy, but it's over the top corny. Okay, bad, mm-hmm. so which, which is what? If this it, segment it's like slapstick crazy, let me ask you stupid. a question. If this segment was on Raw, you would hate it right now. Probably. If The Miz was doing it instead of Piper. I would agree. You're right. Why do you think we look at this as campy fun where they have the same segments on Raw and we're like, this is awful? Why is that? Is it because we're older? I, I, it's tough. Um, Piper is just such an established comedic genius at his craft. And I just, I appreciate so much of Piper's work. So much of this work in in particular, early stuff uh, before he went away and started with movies and so on. Um, I just, I I love this segment so much. It was almost one of the highlights for me. This and the, uh, yeah, this I, for me, for this entire episode, the, the this particular segment really put it over the top. I thought it was great. It's Piper's skill for one. I can be an ass kicker or I can be a comedian. I can be both and both are true to who I am. But there's also seems to be a genuineness to it to, hey, here's this match with Savage. Here's this match with Hogan. Here's the cornucopia of everything wrestling can be. And here's this other thing it can be. No one's really taking it seriously. Vince, I think, as the straight man helps a lot, too. Like him just by calling it out for ridiculous kind of takes the the piss out of it a bit, too. And you can just enjoy it. But, I mean, you mentioned if it happened on Raw now. Depends on who it happens with. Uh, Raw or SmackDown. If you try to do a thing like this with Roman Reigns right now, no, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to work at all. But, like, the cinematic match of Viking Warriors and Street Profits was over the top, absolutely ridiculous, hokey as hell, and I loved it. Because those are two teams that you don't have to take it seriously for. So it right. would kind of depend on who you got doing it, too. I just, I, I find it fascinating when we look back and we talk about Uncle Elmer's wedding. Really enjoyed that. And we're enjoying these segments. And they're just so over the top ridiculous and campy. Like, it's like going back and watching the old Batman movies right right, right. or mm-hmm. the adam west batman the adam west batman yeah, and yeah, then yeah. we we go but if that movie was released now which was batman and robin we hated it. right but okay continue that uh, though adam west batman is adam west batman we all love it because it's so campy and all when tim burton batman came out oh it's so dark and it's it's real and it's adult and all and you look at back at it now and batman batman returns are giant freaking cartoons the penguin attacks people with penguins with rockets on or with bombs on them. He rides around in a giant rubber duck. That's Adam West Batman all the way. But because it's Tim Burton and all, spook, you know, film dark, we took it seriously. Now the Tim Burton ones look just as camp as the Adam West ones. Yeah. That's why I got Christopher Nolan on it. Doing the real Batman. One movies. good movie out of three. Which, whoa, 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 whoa. Which one? Dark Knight. So you don't like Batman Begins? Batman Begins is all right. Uh, Dark Knight Rises is a is an okay movie. Is a terrible Batman movie. Dark Knight Rises is the worst of the three. It absolutely is, and it's not a Batman movie. Batman Begins is a great origin film. 
Uh, but Dark Knight's just a crime movie. It's not, it's not even like a comic book movie, in my opinion. It's great. All right. Yeah, but no one talk. No, if we split hairs with that, the Marvel movies aren't superhero movies. Civil War is a spy movie with superheroes. I know. It makes it good. That's why Ant-Man's great, because it's a heist movie. With right. yeah, it's a nice right. movie with superheroes. Right. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. I love it. The first Ant Man. Yeah, it's a great movie. Marvel is a movie first, a genre movie first, and then with superheroes. Yeah. And, that's mm-hmm. and it works. So it's good. a great formula. Yeah, right. I like all of it. Except you know what? Now you know what I want to see now though is Adam West Batman remade with Iron Sheik as Batman. Burt Ward is, is Volkoff. He's oh. swinging the clubs. <laughs> Pow! Wham! Bam. <laughs> right? <laughs> Be great. <laughs> All rise for the singing of the Gotham anthem. Oh God! Oh God! My favorite Chris—I gotta just tell the story. My favorite Christmas of all time, of, of recently, was when my my parents. All I wanted was the Batman Blu-ray set, the complete mm-hmm. set, and they got it for me and my brother. And we just watched old Batmans all day. It was so much fun because my Aunt yeah. Marilyn really wanted to bang Adam West back in the day. And she's talking about how hot he was. And we were talking to Cheeks about how it could have been his dad. <laughs> this Batman could have been your real dad. <laughs> oh, good stuff. You could put those on and watch. They're fantastic. I mean, they're just so entertaining. I watch them every year. Just pick random ones. Right. You got to watch a surfing one. He's talking into the hot dog. It's <laughs> so stupid. I love it. I love it. It's no Kung Fu contest, that's for sure. Yeah, Kung Fu time is coming up. So after that, we get Hogan talking with Vince. Uh, then we get Mean Gene uh, interviewing Mr. Fuji as he's breaking boards, bricks and wood. Uh, he's doing it all. Fuji can break stuff. Very good. Um, then we get re- Fuji doesn't break anything. He rubs his temples. With bricks? Steamboat broke stuff. No, he's, Mr. Fuji's breaking bricks and wood. Did he? Yeah. I must have zoned How out. How dare you question the strength of Mr. Fuji? And then we get the uh, Kung Fu Challenge match uh, with Mean Gene Chalk talking with uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And then we get our match number four, which is our main event of the evening. So, guys, as everyone knows out there, because everyone listens to our Monday shows, the run-in happens on Mondays now. Right, Kevin? You're right. Not every Monday, but some Mondays is the hot tag to Kevin. The hot tag express, um, you know, goes uh, on running Mondays. But we actually have a new segment to debut tonight. Okay, folks. Um, So uh, the gentlemen here aren't aware of what the segment is, but I did send them the theme song to the segment (laughs) that they are going to listen to right now. And then we will launch what is our segment. So, gentlemen, go ahead to your um, your Facebook playing uh, things and listen to this two minute and thirty second theme song I made for the segment that'll play every week now. Just let me know when you guys play it. Who puts the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. <laughs> Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? <laughs> it's Kevin Elliott. 
keeps them bag and border because he likes his comics oh pristine. If you ever shopped his eBay store, the VAXs are just so clean. He's been blocked by Nash and Riker because he tweets the truth. And the ladies all love the pudding he provides because it's the proof. What's the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. <laughs> Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? It's Kevin Elliott. <laughs> All right, Kevin, it's time. Why don't you break down the main event? Let's all hear those delicious, delicious notes. You know why, Kevin? Why, man? Because you're the guy. You're the man. You put the man in the main event. <laughs> That's right, folks. It is now time for the new segment coming to the house show. Because as we started doing the Saturday night's main event shows, we realized that the best match of the night is the main event. So breaking down the main event every week on Saturday night's main event house show is none other than the man that puts the man in the main event, Mr. Kevin Hellions. Uh, so Kevin, this is where you will read your notes for the Kung Fu Challenge match this week. Did you two discuss this? Nope. Nope. <laughs> News to me, it's, and, I mean, I'm main... so, and I'm so happy right now because I hated this match. Uh, it was so bad. <laughs> so what we're gonna do, guys, is because as as you know, week one, you know, uh, let's just go through these main events that we had. Uh, week one, we had the Junkyard Dog taking down Pete Doherty. Uh, week loved it. Week two, we had the Dream Team, not uh, Andre and Hogan, but Beefcake and Greg Valentine taking down Lanny Poffo and Tony Gurria. Uh, we get the Steamboat versus Mr. Fuji Kung Fu Challenge. They, literally, the best match of the card is always the main event, and there's only one man that can cover the main event, and that is Kevin Hellions. Kevin Hellions, take it away. Just remember, you can't spell main event without me. I hate you. <laughs> I mean, the main <laughs> event. <laughs> me, that should have been your song. Who's the main event? It's me, Kevin Hellion. Yeah, but I'm the one singing it, so it would be me saying I'm the main event. No, I can sing. Yeah. You've acted before. Could pretend. I've never role played as you. No matter how bad Elise wants it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All right, my extensive notes for this barn burner of a match. I don't even. Oh, right. This is unexpected to me. I honestly thought this wasn't happening with uh, our season three. Well, you know what? The, the the Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc breakdown was such a big hit. Everyone loved it. It was everyone's favorite segment. Um, 
that we had to bring it back in some form this year. And the man in the main event, Kevin Hellions, is the new segment. So, me. All right. So, from my notes, which this was unplanned. Uh, I'm going to just take it back to a moment. Uh, Mr. Gene talks to Mr. Or sorry, Mr. Gene talks to Mr. Fuji. Did you wait, wait. Did you call him Mr. Gene? I did say Mr. Gene. <laughs> Mr. Gene. I think that was on Captain Kangaroo. Gene. Mr. Green Jeans. All right. Mean Gene talks to Steamboat about, quote, perhaps the most important match in your career. Fuji, Mr. Fuji versus Ricky Dragon Simbo in a Kung Fu match. Don Morocco out as Fuji's manager. He has manager's license for the evening. Fuji is doing well. Steamboat is in great shape. A suplex in a martial arts match? Steamboat off the top with a kick. Steamboat gets spin in this match. Don Morocco's in. Spit screen missed at Steamboat. These have been your extensive notes for this. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been your man in the main event with Kevin Elliott. <laughs> I feel like your wife right now because here he is, time for the main event, and it's only three notes. Three notes. As long as I send the crowd home happy, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Yeah, and then do you pose after? Oh, well, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Aliens must pose. <laughs> I like how your notes aren't even as long. Usually. Your theme song's going to be three minutes every week, and the notes are 30 seconds. Also, in this situation, I still pose with a torn, ruined t-shirt. <laughs> uh, educators, you hated this match. Why'd you hate it so much? <laughs> uh, it's just the, the idea of it's a kung fu match, and... It just, it, to me, it didn't translate very well. It wasn't entertaining whatsoever. Uh, I, I like the the post-match beatdown with Morocco uh, spraying a mist, but I don't really think it was a mist. I think it was just a mouthful of beer or soda or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Um, I don't, I, man, I don't know where we are timeline-wise in terms of the infamous segments of Fuji Vice, if that is, if those have started playing yet, but... Uh, Morocco and Fuji were pretty pretty fun together on camera when they were doing those segments. Uh, I have the urge to go back and check those out now that I've brought them up. Yeah, and then we get our final segment of the evening. Um, it's the Pumpkin Pass. Uh, you know, a game that we all play at our Halloween parties, the Pumpkin Pass. Uh, what did What did you guys think of this segment? Um, I know you alluded to it earlier, Educator, about how uh, Macho berates Liz at the end because of the dropped pumpkin. Uh, it, it was goofy with uh, Albano dropping the, the whole cell of oh it slipping God. and slipping and slipping, and then he finally drops the pumpkin. I honestly thought the heels were going to win uh, mm-hmm. for this. Uh, we see at the start with Jesse Ventura when it's time for the faces to go. The timer's going, and he hasn't even like let the pumpkin go yet. But then when it's time for the heels to go, it starts already under Bundy's neck or whomever started at the at the start of this. So, um, yeah, it's just fun to see these guys. They're having fun backstage, doing these goofy skits. It's all lightheartedness. Um, I really like the segment a lot. Just wish we could, you know, this kind of stuff. Given this current pandemic and and everything going on, this is the kind of stuff that would be more entertaining 
than you know the, some of the the stuff that we're seeing now on current TV. The the faces are just silly with it. Albano, that's his best acting this side of Super Mario Brothers Super Show. It's fantastic when he dropped it. Um, the heels using the capes to cover up that they're clearly using their hands for the pumpkin pass is just hysterical. Um, speaking of the adult content, uh, when Liz gets pumpkin, very interesting camera angles on her that you don't usually savage seem to protect her more uh, otherwise for that. But I'm then pretty him, sure it was this segment that really put him over the top and where he just became neurotic and well, wanted to do everything from keeping her locked in the dressing room and nobody saw her. Oh, I, I could see it because I could see all of her. So I could see him being more protective. But there, then there's also like when he is upset with her then because she's one that drops the pumpkin for the heel side. Uh, you You get scared for her. Because he seemed like such a wild, crazy person going into the crowd and everything. I can absolutely see why there was the implications. Then you went into why, why people thought that like he beat her for years because of this unhinged character. But the two, the two of them, assuming this is all an act, which is where I, I go in my head for this, pulled off so well. You feel bad for her. He looks unhinged. But they're together and all, and you don't know what to make of it and everything. God, it was done so well. And him as a brand new character, I, I was absolutely sold on Savage and Liz this whole night. Also, no chocolate in this one, I don't think. Only one of the three challenges. Yeah, that's it. That's our show. <laughs> well, I, well, we got like three commercial breaks where they say... We'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll talk for a minute, and then we'll be back again. We'll talk, and then the just closes and there's nothing they set up the storyline for the hillbillies versus piper orton and uh jesse ventura for the next show that's true jesse does confirm he'll do that right so did you guys like this episode of saturday night's main event i did uh, the backstage stuff was more entertaining than the in-ring i'll tell product. you what even if it's a bad episode only having it be like an hour hour and ten just makes yeah. it an easy yeah. watch it's it's tolerable if this was a three-hour show it'd be like ugh. But the backstage was a lot of fun. I really liked the Savage match. You know, like nothing was bad. Honestly, it's it, it's an hour. It's no, you know, was there a bad episode of Superstars? No, not really. I'm watching cartoons and then I watched that and then I got to figure out something to do with the rest of my Saturday as a kid. All right, guys, we will be back next Thursday with Saturday night's main event four. Kevin, do you want to know the match that you will be uh, covering in the... Yeah, I, I actually, I did start it, but I'm not that far yet, so this will be a surprise to me. The man in the main event match is, once again, Mr. Fuji. <laughs> Mr. Fuji teams up with the magnificent Morocco to take on JYD and Ricky Steamboat. You're just only going to cover Mr. Fuji matches, I've decided. Fuji Vice. What's wrong, Kevin? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. I get to cover Fuji matches. Don the Rock Morocco. Yeah, that's right. The Rock, baby. No, he's just magnificent, right? He's now. magnificent. Oh, okay. All right. So uh we will see you next week. Educator, what do you want to say to everyone out there? Hey guys, stay safe. We're living crazy times. You know, make smart choices, smart decisions. The fact that we're living in a wild, crazy world, a world that you can storm the Capitol building easier than you can buy a current generation console. It's crazy. (laughs) Be safe, guys.
And I just want to say thank you to everyone out there uh, for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Hopefully you like our new segment, The Man in the Main Event, starring Kevin Helly. What's wrong, Kevin? You don't like that name? I'm literally going to play that theme song every week. I'm looking at the man in the main event. I like it. I like it. Uh, follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. And uh, guys, you know what the next run in is next Monday? It's my birthday. Ooh. The, the Maddie Treats birthday spectacular on the run in this upcoming Monday. Nice. I hope you get another Fiend replica title for your birthday. Why would I have two of them? You, Why not? You just want one. Why not? <laughs> All right, Kevin. I, I can I can put it next to my or my uh, pay per view chair. You still have that? I do still. What pay per view was that from? It was like a Batista design. I, I, I'm I don't know. Batista with a shirt off pay per view. Oh, that's a good one. In the rain. Even better. All right, Kevin. Why don't you take us home? <laughs> All right. Thank you to my host here for another good and unexpected show this evening. Uh, thank you, Retro Network, for hosting us. Thank you, WWE Network, for the content you can follow. Or, sorry, I thank you to Richard Reader and Jason Gross for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow me online at Mass Library, and MassLibrary.com is my home blog. You can follow Matt at Maddie Treats. Go ahead and check the show notes because we got lots of links for the Patreon, for our merchandise, and coming soon, not just clothing you can wear. But we're going to add food that you can buy uh, with our uh, logo on it and everything. And we're going to start off with uh, chocolate pumpkin knobs. I like his tag team partner, Jerry Snags. Jerry Snags. <laughs> pumpkin knobs <laughs> and Jerry Snags. <laughs> That's funny. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.